You're listening to a message from Canby Foursquare Church in Canby, Oregon. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to you. Visit canbyfoursquare.com to learn more. Thank you so much. It is a true blessing for me to be here this morning in the context of teaching, and I'm grateful. So thank you to Pastor Ron for the opportunity. Uh, Before we begin, I wanted to give a quick update as to what my boys actually look like, since you haven't seen them in a while. So we have Elijah, he's nine years old, and we have Noah, who is six, and can you believe that my youngest, Josiah, is almost five? So you saw me leading worship with him in my belly as I was carrying him, and now he is almost five, isn't he getting tall? So those are the blessings that I get to mother, and it's a, it's a joy and, and exhausting, but really good. <laughs> so as we begin, um, I wanted to take just a moment and give a tribute to all the mothers that we have here this morning, and I'm just going to read a short little tribute to all the mothers and just hold space for a moment before we get into our message. So this is called The Wide Spectrum of Mothering Prayer by Amy Young. To those of you who gave birth this year to their first child, we celebrate you. To those who lost a child this year, we mourn with you. To those who are in the trenches with the little ones every day and wear the badge of food stain, we appreciate you. To those who experienced loss through perhaps a miscarriage or a failed adoption or maybe even running away, we mourn with you. To those who walk the hard path of infertility, fraught with pokes and prods and tears and disappointment, we walk with you and forgive us when we say the foolish things. We don't mean to make this harder than it is. To those who are foster moms, mentor moms, spiritual moms, we need you. To those who have warm and close relationships with your children, we celebrate with you. To those who have disappointment and heartache and distance with your children, we sit with you. To those who have lost their mother this year, we grieve with you. To those who experienced abuse at the hand of your mother, we acknowledge your experience. To those who live through driving tests and medical tests and the overall testing of motherhood, we are better for having you in our midst. To those who maybe have aborted a child, We remember them and you on this day. To those who are single and long to be married and mothering your own children, we mourn that life has not turned out the way you have longed for it to be. To those who step-parent, we walk with you on these complex paths. To those who envisioned lavishing love on your grandchildren, yet that dream has not yet come to be, we grieve with you. To those who will have emptier nests in the coming year, we grieve and rejoice with you. 
To those who place children up for adoption, we commend you for your selfish, selflessness and remember how you hold that child in your heart. And to those who are pregnant currently with new life, both expected and surprising, we anticipate with you. This Mother's Day, we walk with you. Mothering is not for the faint of heart, and we have real warriors in our midst. We remember you. And as you leave today, all the mothers, we have a sweet treat as you uh, leave the sanctuary this morning. So please enjoy that. So our message this morning... We get the opportunity to study chapter 14 of the book of Luke, verse 25 through 35. And I want to read the whole passage, and then we will break it down together. So let's hear Jesus' words. The cost of being a disciple. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus. Follow along as we read this. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them, he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for a terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown out. Whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. Wow, that's pretty intense, right? That's pretty intense words spoken by Jesus here, and maybe... uh, a little bit difficult to swallow on Mother's Day, but that's if we stay on the surface level of what Jesus is saying. If we only look through our Western eyes, we might miss it. If we peel back some of the cultural layers, excuse me, and we might be able to see more clearly what Jesus meant by using such intense language. So it's helpful for us to remember, friends, that this beautiful, God-inspired, God-breathed text that we love called the Bible, that this was written in a different country and in a different culture than ours. 
okay? So we have to continually remember that because when we come across the passage, especially when Jesus is talking and it doesn't quite make sense to us, we're like, what in the world is he talking about? We want to be curious as we study the Bible. We want to ask good questions. Why? We want to step into the cultural context of what Jesus was actually referring to and why that would have mattered in his day and age when he walked the earth. Right? So the cultural context, let's do some of that before we break down these verses. So where was this passage taking place? This specific chapter does not give us a specific town, but we do know from chapter 9 on forward that Jesus has his eyes set on Jerusalem, which means his feet were going towards Jerusalem. He was on a pathway from the Galilee heading south, and we know that he was rejected in Samaria. He wasn't allowed to bring his ministry there. So then he had to go the long route to the eastern side through the region of Perea to head towards Jerusalem. He's going town to town to town ministering. And we know that he hasn't yet crossed over that Jordan River at the bottom there into Jericho because that happens later in the book of Luke. Okay, so this is, this is the context. This is where it's taking place. Now, what was the culture like? <clears throat> we can spend an entire morning just talking about the culture. There's so much to learn, so much to say. But there's two pieces of the culture that I want to bring out and bring forward for our text this morning. Number one, we know that it was a Middle Eastern culture, a patriarchal society But here's the key, that family, the family was everything, was everything. So your job, your traditions, all of your time and money revolved around the family, and your actions either gave honor to that family name or dishonor towards that family name. It was weighty. It was significant. It was very important in this culture. This was not an individualistic culture, every man for himself. No, no. Everything was done for the greater good of the family and the family unit. So the second part that I wanted to bring forward was the Jewish people at this time. They would have heard and learned about God through the first five books of the Bible, the Old Testament, which was referred to as the Torah, but also learning from the major prophets, like Isaiah. This would have been the scripture that they would have been familiar with. They would have not known the details of Jesus' life like we do today reading through the New Testament. Okay? There were a lot of unknowns for these people. All right? So what was happening with Jesus during this time? What was the cultural context? As we've been learning through the book of Luke, we begin to see a pattern emerge from the spreading of Jesus' ministry. So throughout the book of Luke, he begins to spread his works. He begins to spread his words. This is what Pastor Ron and Pastor Mark have been teaching us through, how he's been doing this. So we see that Jesus, he's been touching the unclean, 
who was considered the unclean. He was healing the broken. He was loving the marginalized and even rescuing some of the wealthy. His kingdom came with power and his kingdom came with authority and it came with grace and humility. And as Jesus started to spread his works and words, people began to be amazed. Up to this point in the book of Luke, We have over 14 verses that say, as they heard the wisdom of Jesus, and as they saw his miracles, the people were amazed, and they were worshiping him and praising his name. The amazement. So then the crowd begins to gather. And simultaneously, as the crowds were gathering, the more that Jesus was spreading, there began to be opposition. So you begin to see this pattern as he's traveling. More works, more words, the spreading of this, the greater the amazement, the more people that followed him, and the more of the opposition. So this is the pattern of his ministry. There were three types of opposition that I could really pinpoint of what Jesus was up against. The pressure he was under. One of them was from the religious leaders, right? So they are trying to preserve and hold on to these beautiful Jewish customs and traditions, and they are feeling threatened by the ministry of Jesus. Okay? So just in the earlier chapter, verse in chapter 13, it says how the Jewish synagogue leaders, they were outraged, and humiliated by Jesus because of his audacity to heal on the Sabbath. Something very sacred. So there is some opposition here going on with the Jewish leaders. There's also opposition in the spiritual realm, spiritual darkness. You better believe Jesus was feeling and sensing the the presence of evil in this day and age, and he did not back away. He could feel it and sense it. He would address it. He was casting out demons. He was full force addressing spiritual darkness. That was part of the opposition. And the third part would have been the Roman government. And this didn't happen until later because they didn't really know who Jesus was. But as things began to spread, as his ministry grew, the Roman authority got clued into it And honestly, they thought his authority was just a big joke. And they mocked him, and it eventually led to his crucifixion. So who was Jesus talking to in this specific specific passage? He was talking to this big crowd. He was talking to everyone. So this would have included men. This would have included women, even some children. This would have included the wealthy. This would have included those who were accepted. This would have included those who were marginalized. This would have also been leaders and followers of Jesus. He was speaking to everyone because Jesus is for everyone. He's for everyone. So he's speaking out this message. 
All right, so let's get into our text here. We'll begin at the beginning of chapter 14, or the beginning of 14, 26 and 27, and we're going to tag on verse 33, because these three verses talk about the cost of being a disciple. So you see this language. If anyone comes to me and does not hate father, mother, and children, brothers and sisters, they can't be my disciple. If they don't bear their own cross, they can't be my disciple. If they don't give up everything, they can't be my disciple. So why the harsh language? Why is Jesus being so strong here, so intense? Well, here's some things I want us to consider. Uh, number one, whenever we see strong language, especially in the Bible, it's, it's showing and indicating importance. So he's emphasizing, listen up, gang. Listen up, everyone. This is important. So he's emphasizing importance, and he's also trying to get their attention. He's trying to get their attention. Because this is not the first time that Jesus talks to the crowd about being his disciples. Do we remember Annette spoke on this a few weeks back on chapter 9? Jesus talked about the cost of being his disciple back in chapter 9. So here, Jesus is repeating himself. He's repeating himself, communicating to everyone that this is of big importance. How many of you like to repeat yourself? <laughs> oh, I, this is a, a big pet peeve of mine. I have a really hard time with this, with repeating myself in, uh, especially with my family. Right? So, and we joke about, because I'm an introvert, we joke about how mommy has a word quota for the day. And I can only share so many words in a day. And once I've reached my limit, I'm done. So, when I say something, I want it to be heard and listened to and obeyed the first time, right? Like, I want to not waste any words. <laughs> right? So, and somehow I think it can be effective if I, you know, change my tone or raise my voice so that I can be heard, right? I think Jesus is bringing a bit of that angst with him in this passage. He's wanting to be heard. He's repeating himself twice to now a much bigger crowd who did not really understand the big picture they didn't understand the big picture of what was happening yet and what was about to go down. That what the Messiah was sent to do, their precious Messiah that they've been praying for for years, his job was to be the sacrificial lamb. Not to conquer the Romans. Right? So his language is strong. He's trying to get their attention. But also, time was running out. He's getting closer to Jerusalem. With its eyes set on Jerusalem, he's under a lot of pressure. Jesus, he felt pressure to fulfill his Father's will. And as readers, we begin through this passage to begin, we feel the weight 
of his masculinity. He was fully human. We're feeling the weight of his masculinity as the son of man, speaking with authority and strength and using strong language. Do you feel me? He wants to know, do you hear me? Because if you choose to follow me, it will cost you something. It will cost you something. Okay, so we can see why Jesus was using some of the harsh language, but what did he mean? What did he mean by this language? So was Jesus contradicting himself? Here in this passage, he's telling us to hate our father, hate our mother, hate our children, hate our siblings in order to follow him. But in this next slide, you'll see that Jesus speaks highly of the family. We have it recorded where he says, honor your father and mother in Mark. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Be reconciled to your brother. Love your enemies. So what's going on here? Now he's talking about hating them? Well, there's two clues. There's two clues in scripture that I want us to look at real quick to see if we can find some deeper meaning. And one thing that I find helpful, especially when studying the works and words of Jesus, is to check to see, did he talk about this in a different gospel? Did he mention this elsewhere? And what was the wording on that? So let's go to Matthew 10.37. Jesus says, anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. So that's very interesting. The way that Jesus speaks here kind of give us a little bit more understanding. And the phrase I want to highlight here is more than me. Okay? So let's go to our second clue. And this is we find in Mark 12, 28 through 31. And here, Jesus is talking about the the greatest commandment. So let's go to verse 29, actually. The most important one, he's talking about the commandment. The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no greater commandment than this. So how does the greatest commandment apply to this passage? Jesus here is quoting the Old Testament, which especially for the Jewish For the devout Jewish followers, they would have been aware of what he was talking about. So he's quoting the Old Testament. More importantly, these scriptures are a part of a greater prayer called the Shema for the Jewish people. And for those who committed themselves fully to the Jewish customs, this prayer, part these verses in part, would have been prayed multiple times a day, every single day. So Jesus, being Jewish and having Jewish parents, would have prayed these prayers every day. So the fascinating insight that I've learned from this, I was reading through this book, 
called Walking in the Dust of Rabbi Jesus by Lois Terberg. And one of the things she gives light to is that often the Shema, the, the prayer, is called a creed or a prayer, but it's better understood as an oath of allegiance. And she goes on to say, we could easily misunderstood that Jesus was saying it is extremely critical that we believe in God's oneness, but when properly understood, this line shows that the greatest commandment is actually a call to commit ourselves to the one true God. To commit ourselves. So was God contradicting himself in this, first, in this, in this passage of chapter 14? No, he's trying to teach us through contrast. I want you to commit yourself and to be so devoted to me in love that in comparison, it could seem like you hate your father and hate your mother and hate your children. I want you to love me more and be more consumed with me more than anyone or anything else in your life. This is what Jesus is talking about. So it could appear like this, that God is above family and vocation. And this would have resonated with a lot of the Jewish followers. The the deep devotion towards Yahweh, the God of Abraham, this would have resonated. But here's what's fascinating. Jesus is inserting himself into that Godhead. What? Jesus is inserting himself into that Godhead, the three-in-one, what we refer to now as the Trinity. He's inserting himself into the sacred scriptures, asking the same level of devotion because he was the Messiah, the Son of God who shares oneness with God. So in this, In this, the cost of disciple, as his strong language, he is also affirming his identity as the Messiah and his deity as part God. This is profound, church. This is profound, and I love, I mean, this blows my mind of how he's communicating through the culture, the Jewish culture, right? So the church was beginning to feel this tension. What? The, the Trinity, there's a Trinity, they wouldn't have used that language, but that he, Jesus is putting himself here with one with God, that I need to devote myself to the same level that I've been devoting myself to Yahweh, that Jesus is there with him, this would have been shocking and challenging, okay? So here are the important insights. Let's Put them in. Let's insert them into our scripture this morning. So the cost of being disciple of Christ, what does it mean? One cost was to love God more than. To love God, to devote your life to God more than anything else. You fill in the blank. Another cost is that Jesus would become Lord over your life. As a solid member of the Trinity, he wants to be Lord over your life without competition. He wants to be the Lord. He wants to have the say. And it means for us, in that as we commit to him, 
We give up control. Ooh, that's not comfortable for me. We give up control because there can only be one Lord. And it reminds me of Pastor Ron's message two weeks ago when he spoke on Luke 12. And Pastor Ron described this of Jesus saying, am I living for his kingdom, Jesus' kingdom, or trying to preserve my own kingdom? Am I trying to build and preserve my own kingdom, my own life, or am I trying to live and build into the the kingdom of Jesus? So this, if Jesus is Lord, it's a posture of humility, it's a posture of surrender, it's a posture of submission to his lordship. So another cost to being the disciple of Christ is to carry your own cross. To carry your own cross. Again, Jesus is speaking directly into the culture. They would have known about crucifixions. And one footnote from the ESV translation says, taking up his cross meant making a commitment. We see the same term here, making a commitment that will lead to rejection and possibly even death. So Jesus, using the symbol of the cross, the symbol of the crucifixion as a metaphor to communicate the severity, the cost of the situation. If you follow me as a disciple and commit yourself to my kingdom, He's telling the crowd, you will share in my suffering. Because they don't know it yet, but they're about to see what goes down, and they're about to see their Messiah crucified on the cross, and that is going to break their heart. And then to continue to believe in Jesus after that point and live it out, there is going to be suffering. So he's preparing them, you guys. This is important. The last cost Jesus identified in this passage to the crowd was to give up everything. Again, entering into the culture, we saw the pathway that Jesus was on towards Jerusalem. He's saying, literally, come walk with me. Come walk with me from village to village, and as I continue to teach, learn from me. Do as I do. You're not able to learn from me unless you are with me, because you can't read about it yet. You have to be with me to see how I handle this, and how I handle that, and how I speak over this, and how I, what I teach about that, right? You need to sell what you have. We need to travel light. We need to be mobile, and give what you have to the poor, because the Lord will provide. So he's speaking very literally here. Give up everything. Okay, so whew, this is an intense time. This is an intense time of Jesus' ministry, right? I feel it. And it can be hard for us living in this day and age to fully grasp, to fully grasp the depth of what Jesus was truly asking for. Okay, so I recognize that. It's hard for me to fully get my entire heart and mind around it. So in this passage, the next five verses share about two parables about counting the cost. 
And in these stories, one is about a builder who wants to build a tower. We read about it already. And he needs to count the cost before he lays that foundation. He needs to know if he has enough to finish the project. The other story is about a king who wants to go to battle, but he's not sure he has enough men to actually win the battle. Right, so these parables are making a point, Jesus' point, about it's important to count the cost. Do you know the severity of what I'm asking you? Do you know that when you follow me, it's going to cost you and it's going to involve suffering? Have you considered that? Have you considered that? Before you decide, I want you to count that cost. Okay? So there's another observation about, the, about these parables, but I'm going to wait. I'm going to save it for the end. And I know I'm giving you a cliffhanger, but it'll make sense in the end, okay? So let's continue on. The last two verses that Jesus talks about, verse 34, salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure. It is thrown out. Whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. So salt, and we've already learned about this from Pastor Ron, but salt has, is extremely critical for the livelihood of this people group. Critical in order to eat. And so one interesting cultural fact that I learned is that a lot of the salt from this region came from the Dead Sea. And it, was con- and it contained impurities. So this society would have... Um, If it's not properly processed, because of the impurities, the salt won't taste good and it won't preserve well, and it will be unusable for the food. So this society would have very much understood the importance of preserving salt and keeping it salty as an implication as to not let other other impurities, as to not let other gods or idols get in the way of the devotion to Yahweh. Do not let anything distract you. Keep it fresh. Keep it salty. Whoever, um, towards your devotion towards God, keep your devotion pure before the Lord. And then Jesus closes with the passage with, whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. And this is very simple. In the Hebrew culture, to hear, it was always compounded with to do. So to hear something meant do it. So when we hear, this, this is written, Jesus ends a lot of his messages in this way. If you, whoever has ears to hear, it means if you, hear, if you can really hear this, you will hear it by doing it. Okay? So the significance of the passage for today, for you and I living in 2021, in a Western culture, we may not have to sell everything we own and become homeless and go on a literal pilgrims with our very own feet in the Middle East, going from town to town with Jesus, and, and, and risk even the possibility of being stoned. That, that's not our specific reality today, but this type of devotion and cost for discipleship, like I mentioned, can be hard to relate to. So I think it's fair, I think it's fair, even though it's uncomfortable, to ask ourselves, what is it costing me? What is it costing me to be a disciple of Christ? 
And these are three questions I want us to consider. And this might be a good, this is a good opportunity maybe to take a screenshot or a, a picture because I want us to be meditating on, on this this week. I want us to take time with these questions. The first one is, how can I cultivate a deeper love, a deeper devotion to God? What would that look like? The second question that I want us to consider is, what do I need to surrender to Jesus as my Lord? As my Lord. It's like what Pastor Tim talked about last week. What's the thing? What's the thing that you're holding on to? Could that be the thing that we need to be surrendering to Jesus? And the third question, what can I give towards Jesus' kingdom versus my own? I want to recognize that some of these questions can be very uncomfortable. And do we know, church, this morning that we have permission to wrestle? We have permission to wrestle with these questions, with the Holy Spirit, with God. Let him grow us, let him change us through the discomfort and draw us deeper into that devotion with him. So one of the quotes that I love, Anne Voskamp, I love her writing, and one of, the, one of the quotes from The Broken Way, she says, unless we die, unless we surrender, unless we sacrifice, we remain alone. We remain alone, lonely. But if we die, if we surrender, if we sacrifice, and that is when we experience the abundance spiritually. That is when we dance in communion. The life that yields the most, yields the most. So as promised, I told you we would wrap up our message today with one last insight about those stories, about the parables, okay? Pastor Tim Mackey, I was reading through his notes on this message several years back, and one of the observations he made, which I thought was just so fascinating, is that both of these stories, both of these parables that Jesus chose to give in order to count the cost, in both cases, it didn't measure up. In both stories, they were going to fail. When they counted the cost, they wouldn't measure up. When they counted the cost, it wasn't going to be enough. The risk was far too great. The situation didn't measure up. And I will leave with this quote. Because as I did further research on it, sure enough, from the ESV uh, Gospel Study Bible, it says, so there is a cost to being a disciple of Jesus, but it's not one of effort, however, but of reorientation of our values 
towards the greatest worth of being called into God's kingdom, warmly accepted by God's family, all by sheer grace. For Jesus himself bore the greatest cost, the ultimate cost, in our place. So church, it is important, and I think due diligence to examine our spiritual walk with God and our devotion towards God. But let us not forget that as we count the cost of what it means to be a follower of Christ, he's going to say, nope, it's higher than that. It is higher than that because I am more worthy than that. And we will fall short in and of our own strength because he is the God of our salvation. He is the God of our salvation. And he will be enough because he has paid it all. And that is the good news. Amen? Amen. Mark, would you please come up and lead us through communion? Thank you, Shannon. Thank you so much for that word. Um, church, once, once a month we gather as a church to celebrate the Lord's Supper or the Eucharist or communion. And we come together as a church and we remember Christ's sacrifice on the cross. And this is um, such a fitting sermon to be joined to communion. That as we think about counting the cost of... Thank you for listening. Please let us know if you have questions or would like us to pray with you. You can contact the church office most weekdays at 503-266-4444 and anytime through canbyfoursquare.com.